0: In this episode of the Cyberry podcast, we sit down with John Zupak, the CEO of Threat Quotient. Speaking with Cyberry President Ralph Sita and myself, Thomas Horlocker, the head of creative services, John discusses being at Sourcefire during the creation of the Snort technology and how now at Threat Quotient they are working to help with the issue of alert fatigue for security teams. All right, everybody. Thank you. And welcome back today. We have John Zupak from Threat Quotient here today in the studio, along with Ralph, uh, the CEO of Cybrary. Uh, thank you for coming in today, John. And uh, just give us a little history about yourself and a little about uh, what Threat Quotient does. Yeah,
1: thanks for the invitation. Really appreciate uh, joining you guys today. Uh yeah, I, I call myself an old cyber startup guy. So uh, I come from the world of of uh, having been in the cyber industry now for many, many years. Uh, the company that is the most notable that I was associated with was a 12 year run I had at Sourcefire, which was uh, the original creators of the Snore technology. A company we built, uh, took public eventually, and in 2013, uh, sold off to Cisco for a check with a lot of zeros on it. Uh, currently, I'm the CEO at Threat Quotient. Uh, we've built a threat-centric security operations platform. Uh, I've been there since the end of 2015, and we're backed by kind of a who's who of investors, and are making a run at uh, at a pretty big problem space right now in the security operations world. So, uh, glad to be here.
2: Yeah, thanks, John. I mean, uh, John was uh, very kind and generous. He gave us some time at our weekly, -weekly bi-weekly, all-hands meeting, gave us a a rich and detailed history of what he's accomplished, and it has been a tremendous amount that he's accomplished in this area. Um, Truth be told, John and I are also high school buds, and uh, we won't tell you when we graduated because we're still trying 96, to. Ninety six. Ninety six. So, yeah, that, yeah that we'll makes, go with that. Yeah, that <laughs> makes us 22, John. I don't know if that works out. But uh, either way, uh, John is a good buddy of mine and uh, a superstar in this industry. Um, John, you, you know, I'll jump right into it because I mentioned this before we got on the air and I just thought it just stood right out with what you've done in your career and how you've pivoted back and forth and always survived. That was one of the things you really preached. that, you know, this isn't an easy task, what we do. It is an easy task on what anybody does in startup companies. And you got to have determination, grit, a little bit of luck. But you got to also know that being surrounded by smart people all the time is probably your best attribute as a leader, Um, And I certainly can attest to that. I'm never the smartest guy in the room. I'm I'm not the smartest guy in this room. Um, But I will tell you that having those assets at your disposal uh, really makes a difference in what you do. And one of the things that you mentioned was in your early days and what you guys were doing, you kind of switched from the mentality of, you know, let's detect the threats and identify them to let's prevent the threats and then keep them out of our front door, out of our house. In today's environment, how important is that for organizations to adopt that mentality that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? I think our parents told us that, and then their parents told them that as well.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, it, it, it's a great, great question. Uh, some of the uh, kind of threads of the question go back to uh, many years, back to my days back in Sourcefire. And we went through an early uh, industry shift where we were, at the time, a pure IDS company based on the snort technology. Uh, and the industry was shifting, though, moving into IPS uh, functionality. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. If you can detect it, why not block it, right? Now, we did a bit of uh, zigging when the industry was zagging at the time. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, we, we actually did not initially chase the IPS kind of silver bullet mantra that was going on in the industry. What we believed, and this goes back to really smart people, smarter than I am, what we believed was that the core IDS problem could be solved in a different way. And uh, we made a bet on a new technology that was blended with our core IDS sort of roots and technology that changed the way in which those systems were used uh, by, uh, by organizations. Uh, that actually led to us becoming a really big and powerful uh, business, right? And so we made a bet on something with really smart people. And when you're doing startups, sometimes you have to do that. I think... Uh, Today, where we're at with Threat Quotient, and there are some similarities. And uh, so, you know, I I like to kind of look at how the industry evolved. And if you think about it, uh, most of the bets and technology investments historically were placed in block and prevent kind of technologies, firewalls, uh, AV systems, Uh, IPS systems. Our reality today, though, and we all know this, folks that pick up the Wall Street Journal every day, that companies, despite the large investments in these blocking and prevention technologies, companies are still getting compromised. I mean, you don't go uh, any given week without reading something happening. So I think there's been a dramatic shift from uh, not away from blocking and preventing prevention technologies, but a shift into uh, demanding that companies have the abilities to be able to detect and respond. So if if we can acknowledge that, We've either been compromised or we are very susceptible to being compromised because it's just the nature of the business. Attackers are complicated. Systems are complicated. Uh, The real measure now is, well, how quickly can we detect these things? How quickly can we respond to it? How efficient is a SOC? Uh, what kind of enablement are we giving our own people to try to be able to respond in a different way? So it it is as as I've described to some folks, kind of the the new wave of cyber that's happening as we speak.
2: So it sounds like even for what you're currently doing now at Threat Quotient, you guys are absolutely seeing the value in you know the early detection the. The sock service, sock as a service. The, you know, you guys are pioneering that right now. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, just the overall platform and how you guys are leaders in your industry because you guys really are.
1: Yeah, uh, th- thanks. Uh, may- maybe I'll take one step back and we'll talk a little bit Please. about the problem that we that we solve, and I'll try to put it in uh, terms that uh, I, I like to describe human beings can understand, normal normal English. Uh, if you think about the way uh, analysts and teams and SOCs operate, generally speaking today, it's actually a really inefficient process, which leads to a, a, uh, an efficacy problem. How do I detect the thing that really matters? How do I focus on the highest priority items? And so, you know, let's peel that back a little bit. You've got uh, different operators. You've got analysts, and incident responders, and hunters, and malware teams, and our vulnerability teams. It's most typical and normal that these uh, these individuals or organizations are working in silos. You know, if if they collaborate and communicate together, well, that's great. But the reality is, it's not an easy thing for them to do. Uh, everybody has heard the phrase sort of alert uh, fatigue, right? Yeah. So you've got great systems, but all of these systems are generating lots of alerts. And how do you prioritize those things? So uh, there is an inability, largely speaking, for these organizations to bring the information together, to be able to coordinate the tools and coordinate their own efforts together. And that's really what, when we describe what we do as a threat-centric security ops platform, That's really what we're doing. We're bringing bringing the elements of threat data or threat intelligence. We're giving the abilities to be able to integrate technologies together. So wouldn't it be valuable to be able to interact with my SIM to see whether or not I've seen a breach? Wouldn't it be useful to be able to provide automated capabilities to update simple things like signatures on an IPS system, as an example? Uh, Wouldn't it be valuable to give a collaboration room where people can come together and have access to all these elements. That's what we deal with when we talk about a security operations platform. That's kind of at the heart of, heart of
2: our business. Gotcha. I mean, there's a lot of noise in the space, right? Yep. And the, the ones that are smarter, the ones that are providing a true service to the companies out there are the ones that could, first off, help eliminate a lot of the noise and then put it into digestible, actionable you know, data for these companies. So, great point there.
0: Going kind of off of what you're saying is the the siloing of security teams and other teams like that. I mean, one of the things that we're starting to focus on now is what we're calling security enablement and trying to enable kind of everyone to have at least more of a security understanding so that you don't have to farm out those things to a security team and and kind of wait for an answer back. You might be able to answer your own kind of questions that way and figure it out yourself. So, I mean, have you noticed, like in like in the history, you know, your history in the industry? Have you noticed that people are starting to understand that and trying to move away from siloing off like security teams and their SOC teams and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, we're at the we're at the beginning stages of the crest of this wave, and uh, your comments actually dovetail almost precisely with our approach and our strategy and the architecture of what we've built within our platform. And the idea is this. We've always had a philosophy that at, a foundational level, there's a lot of good data that's available to operators to detect and respond, right? But is it easily available? Can it be shared with individuals? Uh, Can you uh, uh, effectively prioritize the most important items? How do you do all this? And how do you do it in a team sport way, right? right? And so uh, we come from the roots of building a platform that predominantly was used by threat-and-tell operators, analysts, threat-and-tell teams for a threat-and-tell management or platform use case. So you know, the concept there has traditionally been, I've got a silo-dedicated threat-and-tell team, and as they come across important information, they'll share that in some capacity right. with other users. What we believed from almost from day one is that, wow, there's power in this information if you can make that information easily available to all of the other possible users within a SOC or within an an IT organization. The incident response team can make use of threat data and integrations into applications. The hunt team can make use of this information. The vulnerability management team can make use of threat and tell information to help prioritize those systems that are the most important that they should focus on first and today, right? And so, uh, you know, philosophically, but also, also architecturally, we've built a platform that empowers all of those users to make use of this really valuable data. And it's hard stuff. It's hard to build this stuff, but there's tremendous value in it when you can offer it up to these users.
2: Sure. Okay. Sure. So hacks happen every day I mean we we put up a you know a, a scripting course on our site, and guess what? People try to hack the scripting course page on our site uh, and they try it with a lot of fervor um, <laughs> capital one uh, Equifax all of all of them you know are the hacks any different? I mean, what makes them different today than they were two years ago, or is it just the result or is it just the reporting up? Do you see a bigger impact to the Stock price to the board of directors. I mean, somebody's going to lose their job internally all the time. But what really is the the benefit of seeing these and learning from them? Has it gotten any better?
1: Yeah. So I, I think there's a uh, several threads in there, but you know, this is clearly uh, has become a board level issue. Uh, there are real dollars that are involved in this, substantial dollars. I mean, individuals losing their jobs because of breaches, uh, you, you hear about that all the time. But that's just one small aspect of how companies are impacted by this. So this is real. Uh, it's not getting better, right? That's our reality. It's not getting better. And if you think about the dynamics, though, of it, it it really goes back to understanding The kind of threats that you are susceptible to. It is understanding who your potential adversaries may be. It's getting an understanding of the kind of campaigns that you might be susceptible to and the kind of campaigns that are actually going on in your environment. This is raising the bar relative to the kind of uh, you know, questions that are that that are being asked of companies today. What are you doing about this, right? Now, the sophistication of the, of the attackers is not it's it's not the bar is not lowering, but it does depend, I think, on the kind of profile of the attacker, whether or not the attacker is a nation state, that kind of attacker, may be a very different attacker than a scripted ransomware kid, right? They could be equally as, as impactful to an organization, but the ways in which a nation-state attack might occur and the kind of investment abilities those organizations have, they actually dwarf the size of our cyber industry, in a lot of cases. So, uh, yeah, it's a big problem. And, you know, there's an old saying, you try to just try to minimize your attack surface and 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 do the best we can in some cases.
2: So what's the, I mean, uh, I don't know if there's an answer to this and I'm not expecting you to give it to me in this podcast because I don't know it. And a lot of people don't. What's the solution? Is it a better training of the people? Is it blended with devices and services like what you guys offer? Is it an overall education? Because even standing up your product, there's a lot of education in order for these companies to properly utilize it. So the investment in people seems to still be lagging behind the mentality that, let me throw a device, let me throw a service at it. You know, from our perspective, people are everything. People are the ones that make the first silly mistake, and people are the ones that are left to try to detect it in a lot of cases. Where, where's the blend?
1: Yeah, I, I think you, you've hit a, a couple of nails on the head. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not being provocative in saying that we know there's a talent shortage right. uh, out there. We know uh, even for those individuals and organizations that have uh, experienced people, there's a gap in talent between the individuals. You've got junior analysts into you know, uh, so-called uh, tier one analysts into tier two and tier three analysts. How do you raise the skill level of those individuals? Right. Uh, part of the industry problem. I'd like to think uh, I've not been a contributor to it because I think I'm sensitive to this raise, But the concept of silver bullets have been thrown around for long for decades in this industry. And the minute I hear, if you just buy my thing, all of your problems are going to go away is the minute I call BS on it, right? Right. So uh, I don't think there's a, there's not a silver bullet to this challenge. Uh, There's an opportunity for organizations to uh, try uh, try to raise the skill level of individuals. And again, I used the phrase earlier, uh, a team sport. I think this has to be a team sport. Absolutely. So how do you provide not only uh, the educational path, but also the tools and technologies that individuals can work with. So one of the overused phrases today is AI. Well, yeah, I'll believe in a, a fully you know, automated AI system that's going to solve all the problems. I'll believe it when I drop it on my foot and my foot doesn't hurt, right? It's, right. I It's just, uh, I I think our reality is uh, this problem is going to be solved by a combination of uh, technology people training gotcha
2: uh, couldn't couldn't agree more I mean it's like you said, the team approach from everybody across the platform, and then that team has to continually get better as a team uh, all the time, so we know that
0: yeah i mean it's, it's kind of uh, like an industry shift of um like where where do you start thinking about security in the process? like now it needs to start being something that you're thinking of from the very beginning and not kind of like an afterthought after you've already made your product or you know you've already started doing your services and everything. Um, it's something that needs to be kind of done throughout the whole life cycle from your dev team and everything like that uh, so that you don't get to a point where, there's too much wrong, and you don't you don't really know how to you know start correcting things.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a huge momentum. I mean, we're not in the uh, DevOps, SecOps business, but there's a huge momentum in that world where you know building uh, quality code from the start is a big part of minimizing your attack surface. So companies are starting to pay attention to that in a big way.
0: I mean, you spoke um, about during our all hands um, about being at a company that had almost died uh, multiple times, as you put it. Um, So I mean, how important is it just the people that you work with and like the office morale, things like that for trying to kind of bring your company back or kind of keep pushing through when you get to like a hard time like that?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question I won't mention the company name that uh, almost died on multiple occasions but look the reality is for those of us that have done uh, startups uh will understand and understand intimately I yeah I, I've come across a lot of people that, that have said I always want to do a startup you know that's my next thing I want to go do a startup but uh, it's not for everybody but if it's Suits your DNA, and it is a risk reward sort of a choice to do startups. If it suits your DNA and you go do it and you have some success, you probably won't want to do anything else, right? But it, it, the, the, nothing is free. You've got to pay the price to get the prize, right? And the realities are that uh, you can have high highs, you can have low lows. And uh, I, I always like to lean on some of the basics, right? And so if you're going to go do these things, from my experience and in my opinion, do it with great people that you have a cultural affinity with, that people that you can trust. Uh, attempt to surround yourself with smarter people than yourself you have to be willing to make some bets. And actually all the bets are not gonna always work out, right? But you gotta make some big bets sometimes and and go with it. And uh, you really wanna have people in the trenches with you that you know can go long. When the highs get high, you don't get too high. When they go low, don't get too low. Stay as even keel as you can, because it can be an up and down thing, but the rewards of having it are pretty substantial. And a lot of times you don't realize it till it's over. When you look back and say wow we did something really cool sure
2: sure and there and there's a difference there really is um starting a business and starting a startup are not the same you know there there's a bet on a startup there's a risk there's a gamble it's a different mentality and it's you have to understand that the odds of failing are pretty much stacked against you odds of winning are smaller but the reward is bigger uh it, it's just a different thing and to Keep people around you that know that mentality, that are gritty, that are understanding of that, is probably half of the formula to a successful startup, for sure. Maybe more. John would be the expert. He's done about 27 of these things. So because uh, I can't keep a job. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, John, I really appreciate it. That's some great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I love the uh, the
1: word you use, gritty. That is a That's a great word that kind of describes this. And, uh, yeah, you know, if you do it with people that have done it before, they sort of nod their head and, and get it. And they probably wouldn't join again if it wasn't in their, in their strike zone. Uh, it's really more for the new people that have never been through it, keeping them balanced relative to the normalcy of the, uh, you know, f- things that occur daily in these types of environments.
0: Yeah, I mean, another thing that you said, kind of touching on this, is um, you know dealing with uh, people you work with. Is you said winners like to play with winners, and you know if you don't have winners with you, you know you need to get them off the bus. Like you want people around who are going to be able to work longer hours or kind of put in the extra work and the extra time because that's what a startup takes. I mean, that's you kind of have to do a little bit extra every day and every time, just you know, to stay competitive and stay up to date with everything else. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh- look it's it's simple people pick up on that and if you've got folks that aren't uh meeting the expectations uh while everybody else is you know giving the best effort they see that right and they also see it when the leadership doesn't recognize it or try to pick up on it they they see that right and so yeah it's a great phrase winners do like to be around other winners yeah. right so
0: i would agree yeah, yeah. <laughs> As one of the winners here, I, I, I try <laughs> <Absolutely>. my best. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what, John? I know
2: you got a tight schedule. Yeah, uh, I appreciate everything you've done. You've been here. You enriched our people. Uh, not a. Um, Nobody in the room was disinterested, which is interesting for us because <laughs> yeah, yeah. a lot of times we give some dry all hands. Yeah. yeah. Especially when we let Tommy talk at him. I'll, I'll give him a technical talk on digital certificates next uh, time. Yeah. You, Put him yeah. right We'll schedule that one for a happy hour. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You open with that 90 minute slide, and I just looked at everybody like, oh, no, I hope that's not what he's going to do. Uh-oh. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it turned out well. Thank you very much uh, for stopping by, and um, definitely we'll have you on again. Um, It was great talking to you. Thank you very much. Always a
1: pleasure, and thanks for the invitation, and best of luck to Cyber. You guys are killing it.
0: Go threat quotient.
2: Thanks. Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Super. Thanks, bud. Thanks. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cybrary podcast, and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.